0: This is the Serial at Midnight Podcast. Howdy, and welcome to the Serial at Midnight Podcast. My name is Heath Holland, and I am talking this week to author Jonathan Melville, uh, who's written books about trimmers, about Highlander, and about Bill Forsyth's local hero. I have a lot of admiration for Jonathan. And uh, the detail, the, just like the research that goes into these books is huge. And i I wanted to, so we, I, I knew that I wanted to get to like the process questions, like, you know, how do you research? You know what goes? What's your research process? What is your, you know, what is your uh, your archive look like when it comes to you know paper materials and stuff like this? But I also, you know, I wanted to ask him when you write a book about a subject like this, how much of yourself is in that? You know, because it's you are telling the tale. There, you can always see the author in the telling of the tale. Um, And when you're writing about something else, that's that's interesting to me. But what I was not (laughs) expecting. Is what a collecting chat this turned into? So, this is, I think, the longest episode of the podcast to date, barring the uh, the commentary that I've posted. I think I've posted one commentary to the feed so far, but this is the longest chat we've ever had, and it was just like it flew by. So, we talk about all kinds of stuff. We talk about Stephen J. Cannell shows, uh, collecting Stephen J. Cannell shows all over the world because he's in Scotland, I'm in America. Uh, we talk about Doctor Who. We talk about Jim Henson. Uh, of course, we talk about Highlander, we talk about Tremors, we talk about the, the subjects of his books. But if you are wanting some collecting talk, man, there's a ton of it here. And I had an absolute blast. I say it in the episode, but I'm going to tell you now that I'm going to link to his books, uh, his website, his YouTube channel in the description of this episode. So you scroll down, there it is. If you like what you hear, go support uh, Go support you know creators. Go support independent writers, authors, creators uh so thank you so much without further ado mr jonathan melville i don't i've been i will tell you like years ago i went through this purge phase and i got rid of so much i took like a, like records like, it was like beatles white album I, I donated to the goodwill store i donated to a charity right why in the world would i do this and so then i realized i was like oh no i went too far and then it's the process of trying to get stuff back but at the same time you don't want just clutter all around.
1: Well, um, well, I mean, I think, I think the thing about um, uh, magazines and books and DVDs and Blu-rays that we obviously have a lot of is I think we are, and there are a lot of people like us, but we're still in the minority. Yeah. You know, a magazine for me that I buy and that I bought in 1995 is still as valid today as it was in 1995, you know, just because it's, whereas I appreciate that the, the magazines are meant to be, ephemeral i suppose and and you in theory get rid of them two months later or a year later right but for me if there's good content in there then why would you not keep it and of course that's the problem because then you keep too many of them right and 30 years later (laughs) you're like what do i do with all these magazines Um, as
0: you as you're building archives because there's a lot of research that goes into your books right so do you have like huge reservoir you know like huge resources like i i, I interviewed you know um austin trunach about the canon film guide right and he showed he's like this is the box i'm working on right now and it's like this yeah. is printouts of stuff right what's yeah. yours like
1: um not quite as bad as that really um i think i try and I do a lot more online these days um i do and i'll order books or magazines for research and uh, maybe as i need them I do have a lot of books, of course, a lot of film books downstairs and in the attic and uh, but, um, you know, going to libraries like, for example, with Highlander, I think it was Highlander, I went down to London to the BFI um, library there on the the South Bank and also went to their kind of um, their archives I can't quite remember where that is, but you have to get a train there, and it's it's quite difficult to get there. But went to look at things in in person, so and also to the BBFC managed to go there and uh, and sort of look through their files and things. So a lot of that stuff, of course, I just you can't own because it's they have it and it's difficult to get hold of. So that's where a lot of the research comes from. But as I say, things like Internet Archive, which is an amazing resource that I don't think enough people use or pay for. I try and give them some money when I can because yeah. they deserve it. I've used them enough, but just the amount, of, and you've probably found this as well, the amount of you are talking about your Western um, history books that you, you have and you sort of collect. And I suspect some of those might be on internet archive. And for those of us that can't afford it, or just can't find them. That's an amazing resource.
0: You know, they're actually not. Cause I tried to find they're them not there. there. They're right. not there. I wish they, it's my responsibility to scan them and get them there now. <laughs>
1: Well, um, it's just a fantastic resource, isn't it? And there's so many rarities yeah. on there that, of course, would otherwise disappear. And that is the other thing, just that we, yeah, we could talk for hours about, again, going back to that thing about old magazines that you're sort of meant to throw out. But there's amazing in, there are amazing interviews in there that uh, will never be seen again. And for people like me, they're just fantastic resources to then go back and say, oh, this producer of Highlander was interviewed in 19... 19- Eighty-nine or something in this magazine, and that was the only time he gave that quote, and you'll never know that otherwise. So, right. yeah, it's um, it's really it's a, it's fascinating, and, and and yeah, just like we say, it's dangerous as well because our, our attics and things can just fill up so quickly.
0: Yeah. Do you, as a as a as a writer, as an author, do you care how someone reads your books? Do you care if they buy physical copies? Do you care if they buy an ebook?
1: No. No, but I know that most people buy physical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that for the Tremors book, because I self-published the Tremors book, um, which is not anything I've really shouted about on on Twitter, because I think when I first brought it out, I, I was I maybe thought there was a bit of a stigma attached to that. Um, and then it just didn't, nobody asked. And nobody pointed out, nobody's ever really said to me, I've mentioned it a few times, it's not a total secret or anything, but uh, but because I self-published it, I can see what the print, what the orders are like, and I can see through Amazon.com uh, who's ordered it and what what version and print. I couldn't give you the percentage, but it's definitely must be something like sixty percent or seventy percent physical over ebook. Uh, That's because interesting. I think again, once again, it's fans. My stuff is is, is niche, and we love to own things related to our
0: yeah. the
1: things that we love and so yeah so your question though no I don't mind I mean I buy kindle books all the time but mm-hmm. mainly it's for uh, this is not a negative thing but, but books like McFarland who do these fantastic history books or Bear Manor sometimes as well I've got Austin's book first version in print but yeah. um, some of these, in the UK particularly, the price is extortionate and it probably is quite expensive in the US. But over here, we have to the factor in postage because the McFarland books, you can't buy um, in the shops here, in bookstores. So you've got to add on, if you want the physical copy, you're paying something like 30 or 40 pounds, plus maybe the same again for postage. So for those things, I'll sometimes wait for special offers on, on Kindle um otherwise i just couldn't afford them
0: yeah this is one of the things that i want to talk to you about with you being in scotland now i want to make sure i couch this question i asked lee gambin uh like what it was like to be a fan in australia when he was younger and he was like well it's not like we were just like you know we pushed the kangaroos out of the way like he he, (laughs) when you like being a fan in scotland like i know you don't like there's a guy playing bagpipes and you walk out of a castle like that's not my question but like what was it like to be you know you are you are one of us, right? You are a geek in the terms of like a pop culture aficionado. You're going beyond what I think most people consume entertainment, right? You were people like us, you know, you talk about in the Highlander book, you talk about uh, your kind of discovery of like, you know, what the movie meant to you seeing it at that screening. When did you know, you know, what was sort of like youth, like your younger years, you know, did you know you were a super passionate fan or was it just kind of how everybody talked about stuff?
1: Oh, a good question. I mean, I think my earliest TV memory is watching The Muppets. Um, We, 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 I don't know if that's right, uh, we were born in the same year. Not not quite, no, we, I was born in 1976 and The Muppets in July, 76. And The Muppets came on TV in October, I think it was, 1976. Uh, And so we grew up together.
0: Had you had access to Sesame Street before The Muppets?
1: Um, we did have Sesame Street okay. on, but it's a very complicated thing, actually. We, we, that's a whole other podcast, okay. um, Sesame Street in the UK, because I spoke to someone who worked on Sesame Street a couple of years ago and co-created Fraggle Rock and told him about, uh, who's English? He's English. And he—we talked. I said, oh, I remember watching Sesame Street when I was very young in the UK, and he said, no, it was never shown in the UK. And it turns out, yes, it was, it was shown on ITV, which is our third channel, if you could, if you want to call it that, yeah. uh, for a few years, and it disappeared. So, um, but I would have been, but no, I think probably Friday, um, Muppets came first though, for me. Okay. Uh, because that is I say, I was probably um, two, three years old. And I remember it being on the TV and having a doctor teeth poster above my bed uh, and being a bit scared actually of Doctor Teeth because he's just a scary-looking character actually. Yeah. Certainly when you're young. Um, but then the next version—I won't go through everything I remember. But bizarrely, the next thing I remember really—we uh, moved to Australia when I was five years old from from Scotland, uh, only for a year. But I vividly remember the greatest American hero, and that theme tune being on TV, and I would have been five, and so that has stuck with me forever. Uh, you know, since then. So I think there's that you know weird. There's those sort of weird things. Mm -hmm. Because um, American Hero is not a kid's show. Although, of course, I think it does appeal to young, to to probably two children or did because it's such a wacky kind of show. Um, But it's not a kid's show. But uh, fast forward, I suppose, um, I was just a fan of, was I a fan of things? I don't know if, there was a magazine here called Lookin Magazine. And every week it would come out, and it had articles about all the new TV shows. So the A Team was a comic strip, I think, for the A Team in there, and really? uh, Dukes of Hazard might have been in there. Um, Robin of Sherwood. I don't know if you've ever seen Robin of Sherwood. Oh yeah, With, one of my uh,
0: favorite shows. Jason Connery was in one of the. Didn't he? Re- yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Michael Prade and then Jason Connery, and um, and I remember those. So those were on on TV here, and again that would have been sort of eighty four ish. And I remember buying the magazine and, and I remember having a copy of luke and I had Michael Prade on the front cover and just being really happy because there's Robin Hood and lending it to one of my neighbours, this young, uh, well, someone the same age as me. And he he read it and gave it back and he'd ripped the cover. So even at that point, I can remember being really unhappy. Yeah. And that would, have been, that would have been maybe seven. So there was obviously something there, but this sort of fan... The fan gene, as you might call it. Um,
0: that's it. Yeah, that's what. I, that's kind of one of the. I wonder is like, do we have a gene? Because <laughs> there's like a collector gene. There's the fan yeah. gene. Because I can relate to so much of what you're saying. And we're always. It's like we're born this way, right? It, like we connect with these things, but yeah. it's already there. Something's already there.
1: Yeah. So, we, again, I just awesome. back to that wanting to collect things when I was even that age, and wanting to keep this magazine. <laughs> It was just rubbish, really, you know, it wasn't anything much to it, but but when I properly, again, just jumping a bit to try and keep things short, but when I properly became a fan, I think was, um, we moved back from Australia back to Edinburgh again, only within about a year or so, and then in 19, and then when I was 10, we moved from Edinburgh up to the Highlands, uh, up to this little place called Golsby. And I do mention that in the books, because it does—it it is part of me and it's part of my journey to becoming a fan mm-hmm. because we went from living in the city. I remember going to see, I just tweeted just now, favorite films you can watch over and over again. Number one is Back to the Future. And I remember seeing that at the cinema when it came out, just as I remember going to see Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones and these sorts of movies. And then we moved up to the Highlands in 1986. And I lost access to the cinema because the cinema was about fifty miles away, and we didn't have a car. Uh, there was a you could get the train or the coach, but it wasn't so easy to get down. So uh, anyway, I got more into Doctor Who at that point. I kind of in the UK we had on Saturday nights for many years the A team on opposite Doctor Who. So Doctor Who was on BBC One. On an ITV we had. Um, uh, the the A-Team and we only had four channels I think at that point so there wasn't you couldn't really you know there wasn't much to choose from yeah. so for many years I watched the A-Team and then when I was about 10 or 11 or 12 I started watching Doctor Who and that got me hooked on buying video cassettes and books about things and then that was my gateway drug into everything else because I realized that the actors that were in Doctor Who were in other shows like The Avengers or The Prisoner um,
0: who's your doctor when you when you think of doctor Who, who's your doctor
1: well the doctor i suppose i watched i was watching at the time was sylvester mccoy but my doctor i well my favorite doctor is patrick troughton i just think he's 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 fantastic i love and he's
0: the one with correct me if i'm wrong but he's the one with the the least surviving episodes now right yeah yeah we have audio but we don't have a lot of video for a lot of that stuff
1: that's right. Yeah. So it's it's frustrating. Although some some stories do turn up. There were, you know, five or six years ago, two two complete stories turned up, and yeah, which was amazing. So there's there's some magic being a fan because things do turn up again. But um, but yeah. So yeah. So that was kind of when I just it all took off for me. I suppose it was around about. Uh, I don't know. Probably eighty nine is when Doctor Who disappeared off the TV. I got. I became a fan of Doctor Who in 1988, and then it kind of got cancelled in 1989.
0: <laughs> showed up right at the end.
1: Yeah. And, uh, What's this
0: episode? Survival. Oh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um. So anyway, it. yeah. So that's kind of a potted history of my. But but you'll notice there's a few can. We've talked about Cannell because we both loved Stephen J. Cannell. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace. You know, one of my heroes. Yeah. And uh, but you know, there's at five years old. I was watching his his shows uh and thank goodness for it because it's it's um yeah i'm so lucky to have seen
0: them i'm going back now because a lot of them are getting reissued on dvd uh from a company here in the u.s so i'm looking right now i was like wise guy renegade is wise guy kennel i can't remember anyway hunter is the one i'm revisiting right now and i'm just like man Every episode is like a little movie. Like it's so cinematic and the, like the yeah. lighting and everything. Like it's really fantastic stuff.
1: Yeah. I found another uh, DVD just because we'll, we'll talk about all these things, but I've got, um, this is sort of part, I'm jumping around, but.
0: that's fine.
1: This show came out, this DVD set came out, I don't know, maybe 10 years nice. ago. And it's kind of a Stephen J. Cannell. All of these are TV movies from Cannell. So you've got the return of Hunter, the greatest American heroine, uh, the Great Pretender and Jake Lasseter, Justice on the Bayou. <laughs> but this is this weird sort of thing that I have had to import from, from the US because it came out, I think, in Walmart or something. Oh, wow. And uh, it's got the little channel, little logo on the back. You can see the little C yeah. from the, when he used to pull out the thing. But you were, uh, but again, I'm jumping, but you did ask about being a fan in Scotland. Wait, an hour ago, you asked me that. Uh, no, no, no! Suppose, this is great. And I suppose um, I did I, for a long time. I suppose things like the A Team. When I was younger, we used to play it in the playgrounds. You know, you used run around and who's a, who's BA and who's who's Murdoch and, and things like that. But then the older you get, that that stops, of course, and you can't do that when you're 15 or 16. But I think I probably was. I think I became a, the, without becoming a, a sort of uh, therapy session i think when i moved from the from the big city to the highlands um i became a little bit more introverted i think because i didn't know so many people yeah looking back i can sort of see that so i think i i i kind of escaped into tv and used that as just a way to you know rather than going out all the time was maybe watching tv more so yes. um but the great thing is we had things like mail order of course you could send off for, for books and we did go to uh, down to Inverness, which was the nearest city. We would go down every, if not monthly, then every couple of months. And I remember going and buying a, a game from my computer and uh, maybe a magazine, and maybe a video uh, of Doctor Who or some other thing that I'd seen in a magazine. So so we weren't completely cut off from, from this stuff, but uh, London was always, of course, the big, the place where everything happened and all the exciting things you read your doctor who magazine and read about events and conventions and you just couldn't go to them from from golf because it was so far away so but i but i clearly i managed to to keep buying all my things and and i didn't feel too cut off at all but but also we didn't have a video recorder i remember it took many years for us remember um i don't know if it was like this for you i'm sure other people have had it but when doctor who was on i remember um it would have been in the mccoy era going on holiday for uh, when well, one of the episodes was on TV, and we didn't have a video, so I can remember getting my granny to watch the episode so that I could phone her up from <laughs> in holiday wow. and ask her what happened in the episode. <laughs> the poor woman, you know, just going. And then the Daleks uh, went down a corridor, and
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> to, crazy. And
1: that's what you had to do with before. Yeah, filming, I suppose, but.
0: It was hard for an American. See, I got into Doctor Who uh, really in high school. It was in the 90s uh, and the early 90s. Doctor Who showed on PBS here, public television, but it was very hard to find. And what I got into was the the VHS tapes, the video cassettes, and they were expensive. I mean, they were like, you know, $25 per tape um, 30 years ago. So that's a lot of money. and. That was, and no one knew what it was. So it was kind of just me, isolated. That's one of the reasons I wanted to hear what your story was. It was just me. And I had nobody to talk to about it. it was pre-internet, really. And, um, but discovering these worlds, right? And having these in-jokes, I'm like, oh, I'm going to name my computer Gallifrey or whatever. You know, these little things that are, you, only you know. um, And so, yeah, it's these little, um, like fandom for me was, and I also grew up in the South. I said like in the American South, it's I'm not in the country, but it's pretty far from you know, from the London of you know, it's it's far from where anything would be happening. And so it was just like a lot of this stuff I was kind of just on my own. and mm. I guess we take a lot of identity from these things. I know you take a lot of identity from your Scottish heritage because you talk about it in the the Highlander book and I know you're very plugged into what's happening with the Scottish film scene and i don't know i think that it's all connected i think all of these things shape us and turn us into who we eventually become um and i don't know i don't even know if that's if i'm asking a question as much as i'm just it's interesting to me right how the things like you know dr who and the muppets and you know moving to the highlands that forms your connection with the highlander when you eventually see it yeah. and which is crazy to me because that movie is so not Scottish, you know, like it's, it's Christopher Lambert and it's, uh,
1: yeah. An Australian yeah, no.
0: director and it, the whole. there can be only one, you know, it's, but it, it works The for whatever reason it works. It cuts through all of that.
1: Well, I, th- I mean, I've said this before I, and, uh, but I think in Scotland, uh we you know it's a we're a small country we we don't we've not traditionally had what you might call a film or tv industry i mean the uk has a film and tv industry but really traditionally that was london again england london and um, thankfully that's changed a lot now we now in my in the city i am in mean just now in edinburgh we now have a film studio uh which is jo- uh, co-owned by jason connery who we've already mentioned yeah, uh, yeah. and call but back. that's only opened in the last three or four years and there was talk of a a film studio for 30 years or 40 years in fact Sean Connery was talking about one 30 years ago so in Scotland uh, you know it's just this thing of we if something is is set here we'll claim it as our our own I think so yeah Highlander as you say is not not very Scottish uh, of course and it's Uh, yeah but it's but it's ours I suppose and Sean Connery is in it although he doesn't play a a Scott of course but yeah um, so there's something about that and I suppose um I don't know I mean I didn't when I wrote the books Highlander and Local Hero I wasn't sort of really it's hard to think remember exactly what I was thinking at the time it was more about just things I enjoyed and films I enjoyed that hadn't had books written about them I suppose
0: right
1: but yes the fact that they were set here uh, two of them d- did help i suppose but um
0: well you know what's but, interesting about yeah. what you just said is that you know i we grew, obviously you and i are from two completely different parts of the world we're close to the same age but we share so much and like i'm a huge highlander fan again not a lot of people to talk to about this For years, as a Highlander fan, for years, I was hoping someone would write, you know, like the book that you wrote about, you know, to to tap into how was this created? Um, Because, you know, people like Highlander, but they watch it on VHS or whatever, and then they forget about it. That's not, you know, but you getting the story out there and talking to the people that you talk to, I've wanted something like that for years and years. And so that connection exists there now because i'm like this guy gets it like i get it even though you don't like so it's interesting we can talk about this too i want to your thoughts on this because you don't really care for the sequels which are terrible the, the sequels were terrible i do really like the series we can talk about the series too but being a fan of something and not buying into every aspect of it right like that's something we see a lot now like well i like the original star wars movies i hate the prequels and i don't like the sequels and they're like the, it's like fandom puts up these walls. You're like, well, how much of a fan are you? Do you like so-and-so? Yeah. And I think a lot of identity comes from being, like for a long time, I was a Star Wars guy and I would read Star Wars novels at school and things like that. And people, like they knew me. I was the Star Wars kid. I was a Highlander kid too. But being able to say, you know what? I don't think that The Quickening is a very good movie. I don't think that the third movie is a very good movie. There's something to that. There's like a... I don't know. It's an ownership. Did you wrestle with that at all? You're like, I don't know if I like these sequels.
1: I think I've probably, possibly felt for for a long time I should like them because I say you're a fan of something. Yeah. So you're like, you're
0: supposed to, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I probably did think that. And I did keep giving Islander two chances and I kept trying it again. Uh, And I remember being in, but, Highlander 2, the renegade version in Hong Kong. I remember coming back I went to Australia again for another year, years later, to backpack. Uh, On the way back, I think it was the way home, went to Hong Kong uh, on the way. Anyway, I remember going into HMV and buying (laughs) a bizarrely Highlander, the renegade version. So something was, uh, to have to then carry that halfway across the world was a bit odd. But So I was trying, but no, I just... Uh, yeah it's just something i i think at some point i just thought there's just there's just too much in the world uh to yeah. i don't Life's know to hard. think about i don't know you you have to be you have to focus these days because there's so much out there and you have to jettison a lot of things about, that's on that are on tv like the last of us i feel a lot of pressure is it the last of us yeah, yeah last I- of us i feel a lot of pressure to watch that um and i think I want to, but I don't have time, but I should, but I yeah. don't have a want to, but <laughs> and I did start it the other night and I haven't gone back to it. I'd like to, but yeah. Anyway, and uh so I don't know if that really answers the question, but but no, you're right. I think people just have to in a way, like Doctor Who as well, there's so much out there now with with novels and uh audiobooks and um you know comic books from different companies that it's just so difficult to keep track of it all it's incredible it's that thing you hear again and again about people talking about scrolling through streaming channels and by the time they've decided what to watch they could have watched the film because it's been it's taken them an hour yeah. uh, and that's the same. I'm, I'm the same I just there's so much and I just get that guilt that i'm not watching something new and i want to watch northern exposure i bought the blu-rays to that recently and i've got magnum pi blu-rays and
0: is northern exposure on blu-ray
1: yeah yeah well certainly that. is here i don't know about the u.s but
0: well, i don't think we have that on blu-ray
1: it's, uncut, the- and it's got all the music as well wow
0: it's a good show it's a, it's it's like twin peaks light you know it's yeah. like a, a happier twin peaks where totally. it's yeah. mostly remember- okay
1: yeah, and I remember it being on at the time, uh, although I wasn't, I, I, I didn't watch all the episodes. I had a friend who I'm now jealous of, and I wish I'd listened to him, because I remember he had the t-shirt, and I remember him having the book, and I used to watch the odd episode, but he was obsessed by it, uh, so now I'm just trying to get back into that, but but again, you know, that's a, probably 100 episodes or something, I'm not sure how many. Yeah, something like that. But what do you do? Do you, do you just watch that every night? I've got Hill Street Blues, bought that on DVD a few years ago, the complete series yeah Uh, because you can't watch it you can watch on on channel four here which is um well it's channel four and you can watch it on their free streaming channel but the the episodes are so cut edited to within an inch of their life and the same with St. Elsewhere actually they've got St. Elsewhere on there which is great and I've tried watching them but there's just big bits cut out and you're what are they cutting what are they cutting out what are they cutting out? Um, well, I don't know because I've not, <laughs> I've not seen full
0: episodes. Well, there's no time but, limitation on a streaming service, right? So what? What are they? Is it? I they think edited they probably,
1: did, they probably repeated them. They probably showed them on on Channel Four maybe ten years ago in the maybe in the morning, uh, in an early slot perhaps. And there's things like there's there's, I think it's like bits of violence. So so you know some of these shows. They do have like I suppose sent elsewhere, sort of set in the, in the uh, almost the inner city. But right. but there will be people coming in. There's an episode with a, with a someone famous. I can't remember who it is now. Oh, Tim Tim Robbins is in an episode and he's got a gun, I think. And I think he'd maybe shoot someone. And I think that's cut. And I remember there's a scene where someone jumps off a roof, I think. And I just remember a really weird cut and thinking they clearly showed something there and we're yeah. not getting to it. But anyway, that's. Um, that's a sort of other subject. Although St. Elsewhere does deserve to be on DVD at least or Blu-ray, uh, such yeah. a great show. And that of course was produced by the guys that went on to do Northern Exposure. But that's the sort of stuff that we, we do, isn't it? And, and people watching this, of course, are, are the sort of people that will search out these obscure I mean, sitting elsewhere, and that's a whole other subject. We could yeah. we, we could be doing this for hours. But that What is obscure TV? You know, the fact that something was, and I've had this discussion many times with people who say, why do you watch old films or why do you watch old TV shows? And I'm like, well, they haven't always been old. You know, when they came out, they were brand new and they were, they were great and they're still great. It's just they're a bit older now. <laughs> like, yeah. But the fact that we will happily sit and watch Hill Street Blues or... Hunter. I mean, nobody's watching. Of course, some people are watching Hunter, but but it is, it is it is funny. It is a it's it's funny. It's strange being a a fan of this old stuff now, and and people do look at you funny if you talk about it. Not not necessarily the the, the circles that I'm in. I mean, I went round to a friend's other night, and there were three of us there, and we watched an episode of a show called Rent a Ghost, which is a kids show from 1978 or nine on the BBC. Uh, and we could have watched anything we could have watched marvel movies or but we watched this rickety old tv show from the 70s with terrible cso and uh, ghosts of coming through the wall and you can see bits wobbling and but
0: have you ever watched garth moringhi's dark place
1: yes i have i love it. Isn't it it
0: amazing i love
1: that it's a live event just about a fortnight ago with um with the guy matthew holness who i think he created it didn't he or co-created it yeah Garth himself. Yeah, he did a stage tour reading his new book i don't know if you read his book terror tome
0: i have i was not sure if the book was real or not i thought that maybe it was just a meme it's a real book it's a real book and i'd recommend getting
1: the audio book if you can the audible version because okay. he of course reads it in, the, in that uh tone of voice and that that persona um but no that was a great show that was channel four as well channel four is such a great channel <laughs> it's a great yeah. so many great things from them
0: well, and yeah. in the in the tradition of of so many things that I love that are based out of the UK, there's like eight episodes of that show and then it's gone, you know. Yeah. There's just a few. But there's a purity to that too, and that's one of the things that I admire about that model is because here we water down so much. The Doctor Who's an exception for you guys, I guess, you know, over there because it has been it's been over on the air since 60. Well, it was off for a while, obviously, 89 yeah, to what, 2005, but it's been around for well over half a century
1: well it's the 60th anniversary this year yeah
0: yeah um but there's a purity to like this is the concept this is the idea and we're going to do this and then that's it and just enjoy it I, i i actually really like that and that's one of the things about you know about hunter Maybe that's one of the things that I like about it, is because it's just this pure thing, and it's not the Hunter franchise, it's not the Hunter cinematic universe. You know, it's just an episode of Hunter, and it was it had no aspirations to be anything beyond that. But lots of people tuned in. I mean, it was a really popular show. I remember, I remember watching it first run. Like, I remember, you know, eighties memories of Hunter. But you know, now I think a lot of things feel disposable. Whereas when you get with your friends and you guys are watching. You know, was it Rent a Ghost? Is that what it was? Rent a Ghost, yeah. Yeah, I've never heard of. It. I gotta look it up. Um, you know, there's something really cool about that because it's not this watered down. You know, it hasn't been uh, monetized to death or just like bled dry.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a tricky one, is isn't it? I mean, um, yeah. I mean, of course, things like the A team really. I think two series, or maybe three series, and then it, it, it ran out of steam very quickly. I think even probably the third season it was the we, I mean there was a one idea show anyway. But yeah. uh, but of course the classic thing with Canal was he um would come up with a show, you know all this. But you know, he would put it on the, it would come on the T V, it would become a hit, and then he would get asked to do another show and then he would bring all the best writers onto the new show. And so the they kind of lost interest a little bit I suppose in the, in the original show like The A-Team and went off to do I don't know Riptide or um, Hardcastle McCormick and so he just kept and what else could you do he was a factory he he ran a factory of TV yeah. and uh, he had to put his best workers on the new shiny thing uh, and so of course by the end of The A-Team it's just that you're like what is this what am I watching and, uh, and it is difficult and things like Knight Rider which of course is not Cannell but um I think you said are you watching that again just now maybe or
0: I'm not but did you see that right. new turbine uh uh Blu-ray set that came out in Germany have you seen that thing Holy no. cow it's amazing so this company called Turbine is putting out it they put it out in Germany at the beginning of the year or maybe late last year and it's like it's like 200 200 euros I think is what it is and it's got every episode of Night Rider it's got every episode of the revival it's got the TV movie it's got the revival series it's got it's like everything and then there's like cards like all sorts of physical goodies in there too it's amazing but it's 200 euros which is not that's not cheap so yeah, yeah. But, but I love that show I I adore Knight Rider
1: but I'm guessing I mean I've not watched I watched it at the time and I've only watched the odd episode since it's the same idea though isn't it as in by probably series four or five it probably you're like what are they doing now but or maybe it's yeah. not, I mean, things like Magnum PI, I think the quality is pretty pretty good through that. I'm really amazed when I watch it. It's it's much more, um, not adult, but it's more, um, it's just better made than a lot of those shows. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if Knight Rider is quite like Magnum or more like 18 where it sort of loses steam.
0: It's more like a team, you know, by the end of the, you know, they bring in like evil kit, like the Kit car, car. but it's a, I think it's a four season show. And, you know, I have a, I have a four season theory. I think that no TV show can really last beyond, I think at best, every series has four golden years and that's at best. Um, And so, because after that, you think about what's happening behind the scenes, people are negotiating their contracts. Like, well, I want more money. I want more screen time, whatever um character arcs have been resolved you know you've explored if there's relationships on the show romantic relationships they've they will they won't they well they did now what you know you saw what the the american version of the office is one of the worst offenders of this and every time i say this people that love the american version are like how dare you this show's amazing but that show like it it's it's a very like the 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 British version is better because it is this pure thing and nobody has a chance to outlive their character's development like Steve Carell's character leaves the show spoilers for the American office if nobody sees it, everybody knows right but he leaves the show but the show continues and then' yeah, so all these like Jim and Pam will they yes they will well then they get married well then they have a kid like there's no tension there there's no you know like
1: yeah yeah. I mean, I think I would say I think two seasons is probably the best. I mean, I'm I'm using yeah. part of the example of that is Due is South, which uh, I adore Due South and I adored it when it was first on. And there are two perfect seasons. One, the first season is amazing. I think I've said uh <laughs> I've said publicly before, I remember seeing on Twitter, um, maybe 10 years ago when Paul Haggis was was still um Yeah, still the Paul Haggis. Now it's a little bit murky, but he was there. And I remember, I think I tagged him actually and said something about, G South Series 1 is, I think, one of the best, if not the best, first season of a TV show ever, which is maybe a little bit of a hyperbole, but certainly one of the strongest things. And also David Marciano tagged him. And they came back and said, oh, thank you, you know, that's very kind of you to say so. So I was quite happy about that. But anyway, um, G South was amazing for those... First two seasons really, and then David Marciano left, and then they continued with it. And uh, you know, it's I still haven't watched all the, the third, third, fourth, depending on what country you're in. It's split into into two yeah. that that last season. I still just because it changed completely. And and Paul Gross, who I think is is brilliant and a great actor and very talented guy, of course, but he sort of took over. I think as producer or exec producer and stamped his humor on it. And it just went way over the top. And anyway, I could, yeah, I love G-South, so I just thought I'd have to get mentioned for that in there. But that's an, yet another show that deserves a Blu-ray release. And years ago, I would have said, even until recently, I think I would have said that'll never happen. But then things like Dawson's Creek come out on, DVD, on Blu-ray, and I think maybe, you know, I think a lot of people in Canada would probably buy G-South and and the UK, yeah. which ended up funding for financing g-south i think we would a lot of people here would buy it um so that's my sort of plea to um whoever brought out i can't think who would be releasing that now but
0: yeah well that's what i know we live in an e-commerce world where you could just mail order something from anywhere but what's the collecting scene like where you're at is it thriving or is it kind of uh you know on dwindling
1: i think it's good i think it's really good actually yeah we've got this company called network who you maybe have bought from in the past network dvd
0: i think they put Uh, out space 1999 didn't they yeah yeah
1: Yeah. And due south actually they brought that out here uh and um the persuaders and the prisoner and a lot of those itc shows and various shows that um yeah obscure or i suppose obscure now of course as, as i was saying earlier yeah back in the day they were huge but you know, although these things were get 18 million viewers on itv or usually itv their stuff right and today it's forgotten but uh but no they're still bringing out things their 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 rate of, re- of releasing things has reduced over the years they had a golden age maybe 10 years ago but they're still bringing things they're upgrading things now they're sort of being more selective and upgrading things to blu-ray um things some things i would never buy but that's just because i'm not a particular fan of them but it's brilliant that there are fans getting them. So there's that, and also the the film, of course, Doctor Who, we're very lucky that the BBC has decided to restore and upgrade things to Blu-ray and those box sets, I don't know, I don't know if I've seen a video of you doing those, but-
0: I have, yeah, I'm I'm actually, I'm looking at them right now. I've got the the, how many do I have? I've got eight of them, I guess? Yeah.
1: That's pretty good. I mean, I think there's, I, I lose track of how many of them there are, but I've got them all. But then they started bringing out the thinner version. Actually I've got, I just took a little collection of things. So just cause you're always showing things on- the, Oh, you
0: um, have things to show, my, great, great. I've
1: got my Rockford Files box set. So I did yes. import this one because you can't buy that in the UK, can you? I think the first season was brought out in the UK. Very expensive. I think the first season cost the same as all six seasons dead wow. to import. It's crazy. So nobody bought it. And this thing called Nichols, which I happen to have, which I'm a big fan of another James Garner show from Warner Archive, I think brought this out. Um, and um, Who
0: signed that what does it sign? What does it say?
1: Uh, it's Margot Kidder, actually. Uh-huh. Yeah, she did a, an event in Scotland, maybe I keep saying 10 years ago, everything feels like 10 years ago, but right. a few years ago, she did a signing in Glasgow, and um, and I had to go and speak to her. And you know, the sad thing, I mean, I can show this now, because she's sadly not here, but I said to her, I would love to talk to you, I'd love to interview you about working on, on things like nickels. and she wrote her email address on the oh. inside. And I can show that now because sadly, of course, yeah. she hasn't I don't think anyone's checking her email address, but anyway, that's the side, but you no, know, just things like this, it's just going back to the idea of having to import things Mm -hmm. over here which you do of course everyone absolutely in the world um but i was going to show you there the doctor who yeah i've got this is is this the most recent one no it's not the most recent one now actually there's a john Pertwee. yeah
0: Yeah. i don't have any of the hartnell stuff i i've got does it bother you the way they're going out of order with some of this stuff like they're like here's tom baker season four and then (laughs) and and then no
1: no because i understand why they're doing it i think they're doing it partly because of the accessibility of, of the guests and, or the interviewees and things like that. And yeah um, and partly I think just to keep it fresh because if they released lots of black and white store sets in an in order, right. I'm guessing the sales might be slightly lower. Yeah. I don't know what the sales are like. But I, so I'll buy these, these are quite big to have on the shelf, but then they re-released them, smaller versions. So I've been buying those and selling on these. So I'm not too bothered about packaging yeah this is very nice but it's still it looks, huge. looks
0: good it is huge have you seen the american ones i think i have yeah i think okay. i i, I was gonna go pull them, them but i don't need to if you've seen them yeah, yeah. they're much thinner but they leave they leave off um because yours comes with some paper goods right it has yeah, sides so ours does not yeah. they don't even do slip covers for ours now you just get the plastic case
1: yeah you know it's yeah, okay. we get this this thing here with the, the sort of you know comes away and yeah. And it's very nice, but nice. I'm happy to buy the and this goes for crazy money sometimes on eBay, really. Um, well, they did anyway when they first started coming out, but but no, um, yeah, so Doctor Who, I'll buy I can't remember where I was going originally with the conversation, but but Doctor Who, I'll, I'll buy all those. Uh, and oh, yeah, no, you're asking about the sort of market here, I think it's good. I mean, there's a company, one example is a company is it fabulous films i think they're called they brought out magnum uh, on on blu-ray so maybe four or five years ago
0: mm-hmm.
1: and recently they brought out there's this tv show called Wurzel gummage which i don't know you'll know
0: per, uh, uh, pertwee right yeah. yeah
1: yeah so that's a show i remember watching when i was when i was very when i was young um and it's just it brings back so many memories it's so well made and it's for anyone that doesn't know, it's John Pertwee who plays Wurzel Gummidge, who's a scarecrow, and of course the scarecrow comes to life and has all these adventures in this little village in England. And uh, so, for many years, we had the DVD version of this, and uh, it just looked absolutely terrible. And you just—it's like it was a, a, a through it shot in darkness or something all the way through. it. It just looked terrible, and that is a show I never thought we would get on blu-ray because it's just so um I don't know it's just I keep saying obscure but it's of all the shows that feels like it's it's well known people right. know of it but it just it's niche. anyway yeah so, yeah and and so but it did come out so there's some fans uh in the UK that kind of found um the negatives and i think they found it in some strange place like a I don't, want to, I don't know if it was a church hall or something, but, but they found these negatives and were trying to get them, uh, find a company to release them for, for a few years. And then it went silent and I thought, right, well, that's never gonna happen. But it did and it came, it came out maybe three or four months ago. Wow. Stunning Blu-rays, absolutely gorgeous, amazing extras, commentaries, you know, archival clips from old news shows. They would have John we would go on in character. Uh, you know, interviews that people maybe did with him, fans who went to meet him and had their little tape recorders and they've now been digitized. And you just think if that's coming out, and it cost maybe 70, 70 pounds, maybe 65, maybe 60 pounds for that box set, which is a lot of money for maybe four or five seasons of maybe six episodes each, roughly. Yeah. But I just thought, well, you've got to, I've got to support that because people have gone to the effort of doing this and I want more of this stuff. There's a second series called Wurzel Gummidge uh, Down Under when they went to uh, New Zealand. And I believe they found the negatives, but I think they were actually in New Zealand and they got caught up with COVID and things like that. So couldn't, you know, they couldn't import them and stuff. So I think we might be getting that as well. And wow. so, yeah, that's so that's kind of a long way of saying I think the market is probably healthy-ish <laughs> yeah.
0: at the moment. Well, I know a lot of Jerry Anderson shows are getting Blu-ray releases too, things that we never even got here. Yeah. You know, like uh Terra Hawks, I think, has a Blu-ray yes. box set. And, you know, because uh, yeah. I cover a lot of Australian releases, right? And yeah. people will be like, you should buy the in their DVDs from Australia. And people are like, you need to get the UK Blu-ray. And I'm like
1: yeah okay yeah network are are fantastic and i remember just as an aside i bought their persuaders box set uh um a few years ago and they had an event in london with um roger moore so roger moore and uh you could go and and i got to meet him he signed my 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 box set of of the persuaders which was what an amazing day that was going going down for that so wow um, those guys are, are incredible. And there's a series which I'll recommend. Why not, since I'm here, that they released called The Strange World of Gurney Slade, which is very obscure, Or I, I keep saying, okay, I'll stop using that word obscure. But we're, if we're talking about, okay, if we are using the word obscure, that is almost the definition of obscure. Uh, it was a show made uh, in 19, I don't know now actually, 1960, Uh, let's say 67, 66, 67, starring Anthony Newley. And um, he uh, he plays this character called Gurney Slade, who's a sitcom character. And in the first episode, in the first scene, he is in a scene of a sitcom, (laughs) but he walks out of the sitcom because he gets bored. So the other characters are saying to him, and I know that trying to describe things like this doesn't really do any justice, but, they're trying to engage this actor in the scene and he's just like, nah, and out he goes. And it's just this crazy program about this guy who...
0: This sounds amazing.
1: Yeah, it's even hard to describe. And it's been used, they've said a lot of times, it's um, inspired the prisoner or it's kind of the prisoner before the prisoner
0: is 1960 and imdb describes it as gurney slade wanders from place to place after breaking the fourth wall to escape from the mundanities of making a family sitcom yes that's brilliant
1: hard it's very hard to describe
0: yeah but
1: but i mean the dvd came out and that was i mean that was a revelation to me and then they released the blu-ray set Network uh, maybe a couple of years ago, and that is beautiful, just beautiful restoration, uh, lovely box set. And there's also a film that comes with it called, called "The Small World of Sammy Lee," which is a, a an incredible um, Anthony Newley film, uh, which I recommend recommend everybody. But that comes free with this this set, and that that deserves to be on its own in, in a box. So yeah. if if anyone wants to try something a bit different, please please buy Gurney Slade. Um, you could probably get the DVD on eBay if you're in the U S probably cheap now. Cause that's been out for quite a while. Okay. Blu-ray is worth getting if you can.
0: That's so really you. cool. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, you've met a lot of people, you were talking about some of the people that you've met Roger Moore, Margot Kidder in your, both in your professional work, even outside of the books you've written. I know you've met a lot of people. Have you, I don't want you to name names, but have you ever been disappointed by a celebrity encounter? You know, they say don't meet your heroes. Have you been let down by any of your heroes?
1: Mm, no, not really. No, I think one person I interviewed for my Tremors book, um, <laughs> randomly, was, was a little dismissive of being in Tremors. Maybe I won't say which one it was, one of the sequels. <laughs> okay. uh, but, but they spoke to me, um, which was very nice of them, but I couldn't get much out of them. And I could sort of sense, it was almost like they didn't want to be speaking to me from L.A., uh at 4 p.m in the afternoon but they'd set up the interview so anyway no really most people would be lovely
0: Clancy Brown is the one that I was wondering about because I heard an interview with Clancy Brown and he was super grumpy about Highlander he did not want to name Davis and Panzer he would not even name who they were he said they were vultures and that um they he was like I got no money from that I got no um he was like it was a it was a terrible shoot. I got very little money for that, and those guys are just like vultures. They just swooped in and picked up the script from a college kid, and he was really negative about the whole thing. And I don't necessarily get that from your encounter with him. So I was just like, "How was Clancy Brown?"
1: He was he was lovely. I mean, I think uh, he. So the first thing I suppose he was he was paid to come to the to Scotland, uh, so he was here. You know. On someone else's dime, I suppose, which maybe made him feel a bit happier. But at the same time, no, he was very. I I, he felt very genuine. He didn't have to say nice things about the film, I don't think. But um, but but no, he was he was lovely. I can't really think of many things to say apart from he was. I got to meet him on the red carpet first of all, uh, because I was working for a, a kind of website at the time. And I I I I didn't lie to them exactly, but I I said you know I'll interview him for the website, and then um, I got another interview with them, and I kept that one for myself because I thought I want to write the book and I want to keep these things secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I got two interviews with them, I suppose over two days, and uh, and and of course it's just it's tough because you only have maybe I think the first time maybe eight or nine minutes with them on the carpet, and yeah. then maybe maybe not even that much, maybe six minutes. And then the second time the next day was maybe 20 minutes so you just don't have much time of course to get to know anyone and that's not the point of doing it but he was just very um very honest and 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 that's something i found i mean i'd spoken briefly to the costume designer jim atchison for highlander and he told me um i think by email about that he would had a bit of a problem with clancy on set and i think if it had just been him saying that to me, I wouldn't have probably used that in the book. I might not have done, because it's that thing If he said, she said,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't want ever to get sued <laughs> for right. writing these books. Yeah, uh, But uh, also, um, yeah, so, but then when I, so when I spoke to Clancy, I kind of raised it slightly and said something about that encounter without wanting to probe too deeply or, or annoy him. But he held his hands up and he says, yeah, I didn't, I didn't act very well. I was young. He was 23 or four at the time. You know, I can, it must be for a young actor who is being touted as probably the next Schwarzenegger or the next big thing. Uh, I can imagine your ego must get away with you a little bit. Um, so or run away from you. So um, he was just very honest and he said, yeah, I, I made a mistake. I was, I was in the wrong um, about this encounter that they had, basically Clancy started taking bits of the costume off. And of course the costume designer had spent hours and days making this beautiful costume and there's Clancy ripping bits off. And uh, he was like, what are you doing? And they had a bit of a falling out. So I suppose just to say, it was nice to be able to sort of set the record straight or or at least you know hear what it was actually like being, and that's what I wanted to find out. What was it like being a young actor at your kind of potentially your, your peak because who knew where his career was going to go but right. at that point in your career when uh, you know yeah you, you could do what you wanted almost and act like a, an idiot uh, and people, people probably wouldn't tell you off for it and so it was really interesting to speak to this guy what 30 years later you could look back at his younger self and say yeah I was a bit of a jerk but you know so that was nice and that's that's the nice thing about interviewing people and speaking to them is He's just trying to delve a bit deeper into what it was like being on the set of our, of our favorite films mm-hmm. like a local hero. Um, I don't know if you've seen local hero but Peter Rieger is is in there and he's the kind of star of it I suppose although he would say that everybody's a star in that because all the character actors kind of steal scenes from him but for me it was interesting he spoke to me for two and a half hours which is incredible, you know. He doesn't need to do that. No, nobody needs to speak to me. <laughs> he needs to speak to me. Of course, they don't. Uh, and I and I just always appreciate when they do. But for two and a half hours, and and I said to him, you know, in, in this film, there's a scene set at a ceilidh, which is a dance. It's a it's a dance sequence in in a in a, in a village hall. And I said, you know, in a lot of Scottish films, there are ceilidhs, It's kind of a, a trope almost that you have in, um, you know, I know where I'm going. Uh, and, uh, and other films, you will have a Kaylee sequence. And I said, did you, did you kind of know that that was something special? And he says, totally. He says, I was a fan of Ealing films. He says, I felt I was in an Ealing film when I walked on the set. I I knew I was in something special. And I kind of, he kind of knew he was in a classic. He knew that forty years later, someone would be asking him this question. And I found that fascinating. He was sort of hyper aware that he was in, in a very special how just how lucky he was and of course you speak to other actors and they're just like oh who knew I didn't know that was going to happen or you know just it was just another job whereas for him it was something so special so I love that and I just it brings me of course closer to the actor and to the film that I love and hopefully the point is to bring you the reader closer as well because these books are not really about me saying I think Termers 2 is about this and I want, and I think that this is a bad scene and I think this actor's not very good or I really love this. For me, it's more about speaking to the people who were there and just trying to get their message across about what they were thinking, why they did it, what worked, what didn't work. Um, and if I can get that across and people go, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Or I think that guy's quite cool. Or not me, but the, the people, you know, the actors or whoever, then I I've, I've succeeded really, because you are me, the reader is me, hopefully another fan.
0: Right. Does that take some of the burden off of you to feel like you have to shape a narrative and you just let the stories take you where they need to go? You know, one of the, there's so many documentaries now that don't have a narrative at all. It's like, you know, I'm not going to, maybe I'll name them when we are not recording, but they exist to say, hey, remember this thing? Wasn't that great? And there's no substance to it. There's no story to it. There's no yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean? There's there's these entire documentaries that are coming out now, and it's just like, hey, remember so and so? It was great. And it's just talking heads like, oh, I saw it on VHS, and it was blah blah. And they're not telling us anything we don't know. It's like serving nostalgia. But that's obviously not what you want to do. It's not what I want to do either. So when you're having these conversations with these guys, you know, are you ever, you know, are you having to you're letting their stories inform what your your chronicle is going to be but do you feel any responsibility yourself to say you know this i have to serve the truth i have to yeah it's this line between commerce and art is i guess you know you know what i'm saying like do you feel a a pull you know a balance that you have to walk
1: well i don't know if this quite answers it i mean there's uh definitely what of course is interesting speaking to some of these books, I think Highlander was 50 people I spoke to, and the same with Tremors, you get alternate versions of the same story, of course. And, and so that is that is a challenge. And the same thing happened with Local Hero. When I spoke to, I won't name names, but I spoke to a couple of people who were very close to it and um, said slightly different things, although one was maybe from archive material and one was from a new interview. And so if I'd just gone with the new interview, um, it was effectively wrong. But it's forty years ago, and I can't remember. I mean, I'm you know no reason I would remember what I was doing when I was seven. But you know, if it was twenty years ago, even I'd be struggling to remember what I did at work. And so, yeah. for people to try and remember forty, so people get things wrong. So I kind of then was luckily, if I'm if I'm doing my research properly, I can then go back and say, which I did by email, saying, did you? Is this really what happened or, or is this kind of what did you mean to say this and uh in this case they said oh well actually go with this other story because that's probably correct and I know that's not giving it's maybe a bit too vague but it's but it's just I feel a, a sort of um responsibility to t- yeah you mentioned about the truth right. just to try and find the truth and try and tell the truth I suppose Um and it that, that can be difficult when there are so many stories or or the other thing I suppose is when I, I do research and I just can't find the research. There's just nothing's been written down or it's really vague or people miss bits out. So I, I just want to then try and go to the source and and find find out things. So again, I don't quite know if the answers to question, but I don't know
0: that I asked a clear question. Yeah, either. I, well, it's, it's a difficult. I've always I'm always interested in, you know, like balancing art with commerce because there's so much nostalgia is a product right mm-hmm. and you want people to buy your books you want people to read them but you also want to be in service of the truth you don't want to you know shape something that didn't happen this is a, an example of kind of what i'm talking about and what you're just talking about too is like we just had the, you know peter jackson's uh beatles documentary get back and i heard an interview i think it was mccartney talking about like i remembered it this way but there it is on screen. It's something else. It's not, that's, you know, all this time I thought this, but it was really this other thing. And we have these primary accounts of what actually happened. And, uh, I don't know. I think there's a struggle, um, that I perceive even when I interview people, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, not with it. I knew this was like talking to you. is super easy, but when you're talking to you, sometimes you're like, how am I going to shape the, how, what's the inroad here? You know, so I'm always curious, maybe what your creative process is. Do you feel a responsibility? That's one of the things is like, you know, how much of you do you want to come through in your book? Because you are in your books. They're not about you, but you are telling the story.
1: Yeah. Well, again, it's it's hard to answer, but I mean, just an example of something that was said to me once by someone that I interviewed um, for the Highlander book. And I maybe mentioned it. I can't remember if I did in another, in sort of another podcast or whatever. I won't mention them again, it's not controversial or anything, but this person said, um, it was about, I, I, when I interview people, I never, I, it's, you're right, there's a, people want, not salacious necessarily, but they kind of, they do want revelations a lot.
0: They the want time. dirt. They want dirt.
1: Yeah, of course. And, and I don't push for that. But a lot of the time, of course, that's based on, like any conversation, like this conversation, or just you, you can sense we are hopefully attuned to be able, you know smart enough to be able to sense when somebody doesn't want to talk about something and if you try and broach that subject they're just going to shut down mm-hmm. and that is the case with a lot of these these actors because of course there are things that happened on set that we don't know about and we probably don't need to know about and that's what one of the act, or one of the people on on Highlander said to me was something along along the lines of I don't want to tell you negative things because I want—I don't want the fans to think negatively of the film. I want people to to read this book and watch the film, and remember, you know, not then think, "Oh, there was someone having a affair behind the scenes, or this person stormed out of the room and said something really nasty to this other person," and uh, so that kind of stuck with me a bit and I thought well you are someone who was very close, you were, you worked on the film and you're saying this, that means that is something I think I need to remember um, and and I was kind of doing that anyway but there ha- there were some comments and there have been comments made to me in interviews that people will just throw out there and they'll say something and and I think oh you probably didn't mean to say that or you would say that to your friend in the pub. You, don't really want this in a book. And I just won't put it in. And I've only ever read one review on Amazon uh, about Tremors, where someone said, of course, it's one of the reviews that comes up to the top, because that's the way Amazon likes to do the positive and the negative. But someone says something about, um, no, it's not controversial, something like that. The book is not controversial. Everybody was happy. They had a good time. Now that's not what happened. That's not really the case in the book. It's not all like that. There is some negative, It's not even negativity. It's just the cut and thrust of cut and thrust of business. And there's things in there that are, I think, as a film fan, I just a f- you'll find interesting about the industry. And that's also what I want to try and get in these books. You don't have to just be a Highlander fan. Hopefully, you'll find it interesting about marketing films or mm-hmm. how films are released in different countries. But um, but yeah, so this comment did come up and I was thinking, well, people aren't going to tell me stuff that's really, really controversial because, and if I did that, then people will never speak to me again, probably. And yeah, uh, but it's also a balance I think between, between not wanting to come across as to, um, not just be a a fluff, a puff, sort of puff piece. You know, of course that's something else I don't want. I mean, I'm very proud and happy that Peter Rieger, for example, emailed me a few weeks ago and said, "I loved your book. You know, thank you for writing this book." And that means a lot. And it's not so much that he's saying thank you for making me look good. I think it's probably more. It means such a lot to him and other people involved in it that if a book comes out that tells tells the truth, but celebrates something, that's why I want my books to be a celebration. So, um, so I'm not looking for the, the actors and to, to email me and then we'll all be best friends, but at the same time, um, do people really need to know? You know, Highlander was made in 1985 and it's the same now, but back then, you know, things like drug taking and on, on film sets were they happened. And, and yeah. and you know, Russell Mackay was, had a, I'm not saying Russell Mackay was taking drugs, but he was working in film, you know, he was a music video director. I mean, yeah. the stuff that he must have seen in the 80s, oh, I can't imagine, Yeah. Uh, or I can imagine. And I think he's probably talked about it in other books, but I didn't push him on that. I didn't say, so, Russell, can you tell me, were you taking drugs? Was anyone else? Was that what was happening? How did you film those night scenes? What we, you, you know? Whereas, I mean, it could be fun to hear that, but do you need to know that? I don't know. It might be nice, but I don't think it really, enhances your enjoyment that much but then you know if someone wants that they can write the book that's why i say in the Tremors book i think at the start is something along the lines of my book is this if someone wants this other book please go and write it and i'll probably buy it um
0: you know (laughs) there's a i love that i love that there's a line there's a difference between journalism and exploitation and I think a lot of times we're seeing exploitation in, in, in the place of journalism and you have integrity and that's, it shows what you just said, that's integrity, you know, just because you have information doesn't mean you have to share that with people, especially no. if it's going to hurt someone, but I don't know that everybody feels that way. I'm well, glad you do.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong. You know, I mean, of course I could, yeah. I mean, of course I, I don't think I'm wrong, but I, I could yeah. put in some of these things and yes, maybe it would get a few more things in the papers, in the newspapers or online. But yeah, I just don't think it's it's right. I mean, someone said something to me again. I won't say what it is, but they said, "Well, I see." It was about no, I won't say. But it was about an actor, a very famous Scottish actor, and they said something, and they said, "Look, maybe don't say that because this person is so well loved that you'll." You don't need to say that Yeah, again. You just don't need to say it. So yeah, no, I think, I, yeah, that's, that's all I'd say really. It's, um, and the fact that people seem to enjoy the books, that's, that's kind of proof. I think that I'm doing something right. And
0: you yeah. are, and I, I'm, I don't necessarily want to like hump you for information on what's coming next, but I am curious, like, what's like, what's the future looking like for you? How many projects do you have in the pipeline? Um,
1: yeah, it's tricky. Uh, so I have a day job. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I I don't know. People say to me, what What do you do? I mean, I don't think of myself as an author as such, because I've written three books, you know, which is makes me an author. But at the same time, people write hundreds of books. And that's their, that's how they make their income, make their living. And I find that it's not easy to make a living from writing books. Yeah. So um, I just have to think about where the money's coming from. So uh, I have a day job, which I enjoy, and I have other bits of freelance work that come in, which is great. So, so the books are, at the moment, and always really have been a sort of side project. Um, so I, I suppose weekends, these books were all written on weekends and in evenings. And um, so, so I suppose that's that's just sort of saying it's not that... I'm always thinking about writing a new book, mm-hmm. but I don't always have the time to. Yeah. So tonight, obviously, we're having a chat. It's, um, you know, five or six hours ahead of you in the US. So it's in the evening and tonight I won't, and that's fine. I'll just go, when this is finished, I'll probably go to bed. But in most evenings, I'm just too tired to sit down now and, and write a book So I'm working. So that's one part of it. And then the other side is it's just very hard work writing a book. And, uh, and again, without I'm not looking for praise or anything, but, it, but I want it to be the best it can be. And to do that you have to put more effort into it it's up to people to judge again not looking for for any comments on that but i just i'll spend longer than i maybe need to sometimes i'm sure we all do anyone that's creating something like you make your your, your videos you put effort into it that we don't see and i'm sure things go wrong when you have to put extra effort, and the amount of hours you must put into it so we all do that Anyway, that's one thing. Actually, answering the question about what's next, um, I've been working on a few things over the years in the background. So the books I've written that you've that are out there, those are sort of in the background from the day job, but there are other books in the background to those that I've been sort of uh, toying with. So one of the books I'm working on is, I, I mentioned Jim Henson. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's the things I love. So anything I've mentioned in this chat, I'm probably going to write a book on it. <laughs> in a way, there's something in that. So Henson, I love Jim Henson. And uh, I've been writing, I've been interviewing people. There's a, there's a series of books called um, Walt's People, which I don't know if you stumbled across them on, on Amazon. But they are, they've been going for maybe uh, for quite a few years now. And there's maybe something like 25 volumes. And it's interviews with people who worked with Walt Disney. And so I thought, well, why? has that not been done for Jim Henson? Or I, I basically thought I'll do that. Let's do that for Jim Henson. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing for maybe four or five years of interviewing people who work with Jim Henson. That's, that's the way, it, that's, yeah. So that's what I've been doing. Um, now, unfortunately, or wherever you want to look at it, these books like Highlander and Local Hero, someone's paid me, a publisher has paid me to write these. So that's something I, I have a contract. So I need to get, so that's the priority. But the great thing is I've been stacking up these other interviews in the background. So these are people like um, a chap called Duncan Kenworthy, who um, he kind of co-created, he was right there at the start of Fraggle Rock. They, had, they all went into a room to talk about what's this new show gonna be? And he was one of the people and the exec produced Fraggle Rock. And um, the Storyteller with John Hurt, he was, he was a big part of that. So we spoke for an hour or so about that. And so just various people who were were puppeteers, who were producers, who um, maybe was a guy who worked in the publishing division of Henson, who you will probably never, you might never, well, you would never think I must go and look for an interview with the guy that worked on the magazines, but he's a fascinating guy because he was working in the studio where they were filming the Muppet show when it was, you know, when it was happening. And he talks about um, Gene Kelly walking past and, and being called down to help with the Muppets, you know, use the puppets when Gene Kelly was there and Gene Kelly looking down at him smiling and, you know, just things like that, which like all these books, I'm just trying to capture these stories for posterity because no one else is doing it so um, so that's one book and that'll just be I think transcribed interviews because I just don't have the time yeah I don't want to say I'm doing it I'm, I don't want to make it sound like I'm just trying to get them out the door quickly but I think with these sorts of things you could spend the time and, and turn it into the sort of book that I've done with, with Highlander and it's the full history but mm-hmm. it's very difficult to do that with 20 people who worked on all these different projects. It's difficult to weave that together into a narrative. So really it's just gonna be interview, interview, interview. Austin Pendleton, who was in the Muppet movie, um, spoke to him, lovely guy. He talks about working with Charles Durning and what it was like working with Jim Henson. And, uh, you know, just these sort of slightly random people that you might recognize the name of the guy that helped design Muppet Vision 3D uh, for Disneyland. You know, spoke to him. And that was what—that was basically the last project that, that Jim Henson worked on before he died. And as he was trying to sell, as the deal was going through with Disney, he died. And there, it was just, so I think, although it's going to be transcripts, there will be things that pop up that, you know, threads that pop up in one interview that will be sort of paid off in another interview with someone yeah. who doesn't know the other person, but they're talking about Jim Henson what his thought process was. Kirk Thatcher, I spoke to him, you know, he worked on dinosaurs. And I think he worked on dinosaurs. I don't want to get people mixed up now. But I think he was dinosaurs. Bill Beretta, Bill Beretta, who people will know does the voice of uh, of Pepe. He didn't work with Henson. So actually, I just really wanted to speak to him. So in a way, I might cheat a little bit, but I think he might be in the book. So anyway, there's that book. And then the other one I've been working on is um, a book about 80s and 90s, 70s, 80s, 90s action shows. And and that's where my love of, of Stephen of Steve Cannell. you know it's I've been speaking to people who work with him um, and worked on um, Magnum and the chap that did the theme tune to Night Rider whose name's gone out of my head. but, I think I spoke to him but but there was a few years ago so I I feel I've let these things go a little bit so I just need to try and get them back yeah revive them a little bit so so those are things that I'm working on and and maybe do different volumes of them maybe there'll be two volumes of Henson I don't know
0: that's exciting
1: yeah because I I love it and you know speaking I mentioned David Marciano earlier just a great actor that I love he was in wise guy I think for a few episodes and um, of course, G South. So I spoke to him. Great, I you know, just incredible that I got to speak to him, and uh, Jay Semko, who did the music for G South. Now, of course, maybe some of it is a little bit uh, on the edge of, of being in an action show, but mm-hmm. he's an interesting guy. He's got his own take on working on this TV show. So yeah, yeah. So there's a couple of things. I think you might like them
0: i think i might yeah both of those are directly up my alley i love everything that you've done and i wanted to say that uh, i really appreciate your uh your tone and your approach it really speaks to me um i enjoy your work immensely because you are telling deeper stories you're telling stories that mean something in a way that resonates uh it feels human it feels relatable and it doesn't feel like what i was saying there's a difference between journalism and exploitation uh, your stuff really has a seal of quality to it. So I wanted to thank you for that. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much. That's uh, that very nice to hear. Yeah, when, you, when you're when you sitting at your computer for so many hours, it's, it's lovely to hear that. And, and just, just to say in return, I love your videos. I love what you're doing. And the fact that you're telling people about these things, reminding people, introducing people to all these shows that we've known, and you're discovering new things as well. And, and I think your excitement... And, um, you know, it, shows, it shines through and your genuine love of this stuff is great. So I, want, I hope more people discover this channel.
0: Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, I want to be very respectful of your time because of our time difference, but is there anything else that we should cover while I've got you here? Did we, did we hit it all? i, I are mean, gonna talk for five hours, I think.
1: Yeah, but. I want to plug a couple of books just while I'm here. Cause I, I, before I was saying about a moving house so I've been packing a lot of stuff away, but there are some things left on the shelf and I just wanted to say the book that kind of inspired me to write my book on Tremors was this book here. Um, now this is the, the latest version. I've actually got the one before that as well, because there's stuff in it that isn't in the newer one. And I used to have the original version, which I bought when I went to Canada in 1996, I think it was. An amazing book by Ed Robertson. If you love The Rockford Felge, even if you don't love The Rockford Felge, I think you'll enjoy this book.
0: I have something to tell you after we finish recording.
1: Okay. It's it's just an incredible book. And I ripped off. If you ever, if you happen to be someone that, that wants to read about Rockford and Tremors, which, of course, we probably would. Uh, yeah. You'll notice that some of the stuff, the format and the, <laughs> the style. I was like, how did you write an episode guide? Because there was a Tremors TV series. How did you write an episode guide? How did Ed Robertson do it? All oh, right, okay, I'll copy him. So there's that. And also just another book, which he wrote on Maverick. I love Maverick.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, just came out the, right. uh, the complete series just came out on DVD here in the US like two three weeks ago. Magic. Really on, on yeah. DVD? Yep.
1: Because it came out a few years ago from Warner, probably Warner again, but they brought out single sets, and they released it. I didn't know that. I might have to it's get box
0: set now. Wow,
1: yeah. wow. I'm,
0: I'm I don't so have it cool. yet. See, I've <laughs> let the community down because I haven't done a video about it yet. But I don't have it yet
1: well you I would have found out through you probably and I feel bad that I didn't know about it I have I have bought the first season on DVD and actually I bought the I bought it on bootleg uh, at an event here in Scotland a few years before that a few years before it because there was no sign of it coming out on DVD right so I shouldn't really admit that but, but a few things like Riptide has never come out on DVD I don't think the canal show.
0: It, I think it came out here in America from VEI, which is the company that's doing all these cannel shows, but it went out of print like within a year. I think it came out in 2017 and it immediately went out of print.
1: Yeah. So I remember getting that on, on bootleg. Like, I would buy it if I if I saw it. Honestly, yeah. like you've seen yeah. my oh that, I didn't sorry, it's like a Christmas time here with all my, my goodies. <laughs> um, I showed you this before. I don't know if it was actually caught on camera, but my greatest American hero. DVD set that okay. I bought back in the uh that's maybe 15 years or so. I'll just show you because I don't know if you've seen inside this thing. No, this I thing. haven't.
0: But you Holy get cow.
1: Uh, you get the cape. So the 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 Hinckley, Ralph Hinckley's um cape comes in it. That's a which amazing. I've never I, I have I, I think I put on one <laughs>
0: when it came <laughs> out. But, Did it work?
1: Can you see? Is that the right way around? No, I think
0: it must have run that way. To the people that are listening to this in audio format, <laughs> you have to go to sorry. YouTube to check out the uh, the yeah. video version. Great, look at that! Video. That's cool.
1: Yeah, it's got the logo on it. Yeah. Uh, and then in this in this box, sorry guys that are listening to the, the podcast, well, there's a the, the instruction manual that Ralph gets in the show. Oh wow! You, you get a copy of it. Look at that! um, You can sort of see in there, and I think depending, it's like lenticular, so it kind of does different things. And I think it switches on. I think there's a light that does something. Instructions. So it's quite a cool thing, and of course, it's got the DVDs in there, thankfully. And there's a transfer in there. You can put a sticker on, I think, for. Nice. Anyway, I'm, yeah. So anything. So you, yeah, you, you, asked me. I'm just showing you a few random things. I love here. it. I love but those Ed We started books. with
0: collecting and we're ending with collecting.
1: Totally, yeah. But those Ed Robertson books, please, incredible. Just so much detail in them, and and of course Maverick sort of basically inspired Rockford, didn't it? That that yeah. Rockford is is Maverick in the in the seventies and eighties. But these books, I just go back to again and again because they're so well done. And he keeps bringing out new versions with more interviews. And I think, how much more is there to tell about Rockford? And he finds five new people. So, yeah. Anyway, we could be here all night. But
0: do you see yourself doing any revisions of your books as you like, have access to more people? Do you think, would, would you do that?
1: Yeah, I've thought about the Tremors book uh, because when I, when I, as I was writing it, well, when I started writing it, there were four films and a TV show. And as I started, as I was coming to the end of writing it, there was a fifth film in, in production. So the last chapter is really just me going on Facebook and Twitter and trying to find people talking about it. It's not, you know, I just didn't have much. And then since then there's been another two movies and the failed pilot that came out, so, or did, didn't even come out. So, and also I've done a couple more interviews with people that I couldn't find the first time. So. So part of me does think maybe I should bring out a newer version.
0: And I think that Tremors is actually more popular in the fan culture now than it was, what, seven years ago? Was that 2015? Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So that might happen. Um, I'm also sort of toying with audiobook ideas as well, for maybe for Tremors, maybe for Highlander. Uh, because there's a publisher, the publisher who's, who's great, um, Pete at Polaris here in Edinburgh, who, who released Highlander and Local Hero but he's not done them as, um, as audiobooks. Audiobooks are very expensive to, to bring out and Amazon takes a lot of money on Audible from producers. So it's very difficult to make money. So wow. the rights to Highlander are back with me. The rights to Tremors are were always with me and Local Hero will probably be, probably be back with me in a year or so. But anyway, yes, I, I think Tremors might, might deserve a little bit more
0: mm-hmm.
1: love uh i just love i love those movies that's another it's another video we should talk about tremors <laughs> yeah
0: we should um, well this has been a blast i want to thank you so much for your time you. and just your enthusiasm i love it
1: thank you no it's been a it's been a when you asked me to come on i just thought hey this is brilliant i get to talk about it. rockford's oh you're gonna say something with that or was that after i'm you gonna, gonna
0: tell, gonna say you, after. I'll tell okay. you after
1: okay okay um but no <laughs> i get to talk about rockford Maverick, greatest American hero, Doctor Who. This is a dream chat, you know. We sh- you should invite all the listeners on.
0: Because <laughs> I knew we could just talk. I knew that we were both coming from the same place, and we could just geek out. And I think this was amazing. So.
1: Well, I, I know. Listen, I know we. I don't know how long we've spoken for, and listeners are probably tuned out by now. But I just wanted to say very quickly because you mentioned I think just didn't really come up properly. Yeah. But one person I just want to mention was a lady called Marcia Strassman an actress who you maybe know the name of, she was in um, Welcome Back Cotter and she was in episodes of MASH and she was in Tremors, the series this is my Tremors book. And I just want to say, I've mentioned her quite a few times in, <laughs> in interviews. I spoke to her for, for this book and she was the nicest woman and that's and she's one of, speaking to people like her are the things that make this really special and that make me want to continue to do this because she was such a lovely woman and um she, we talked about making the series and she talked about how, um, which is one thing, but then we talked about her life and her life as an actress. And she was maybe in her, I'm going to say maybe late 50s, maybe early 60s when we spoke in 2013 or 14, she'd had cancer. She was a cancer survivor. And... Um, which was sort of an aside, she mentioned it, but it was an aside, she talked about being an, age, an, an older actress, about getting roles that were not good good at that time. I think she was doing things for Hallmark Channel. She didn't enjoy it, but she also spoke about James Garner. She spoke about, uh, she'd been in Rockford and she told me stories about working with, with Jim Garner and about hanging out with John Belushi. And, uh, and I have told this story before about how she was friends with John Belushi. And one night Belushi was at her house and James Garner phoned up and said, um, I've got this um, Atari um, system. I don't know how to work it. Can you, do you know anyone? And she was like to John Belushi, do you know anything about Atari? And he says, sure, she says, it's uh, Jim, Jim Garner. She says, Rockford, Rockford wants us to go round and fix his Atari. So they, she told the story about how they went round and John Belushi was totally in awe of James Garner. <laughs> And just how he was the nicest guy so as someone who's a Rockford fan to hear someone who was a friend of of him and she was also a fan of Doctor Who she loved Peter Capaldi she loved Cher I think she loved Sherlock she loved British TV and then she said to me at the end of the call you know phone back sometime you know we'll have a chat and I I said yes okay yeah sure 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 and I never did and she died she died maybe within a year maybe two years I can't quite remember but I remember at the time just thinking oh that's so sad, I'll never get to speak to her again. I only spoke to her for an hour about an old TV show. Um, it's an, it's, an, it's a story that's an aside really, but it's it just kind of talks. For me, it just makes it just a little bit more special doing this because you get to speak to people. you would never, I would never, why would I ever hear a story about John Belushi and James Garner? Uh, maybe I would have read it in a magazine, but to hear it from someone that was there, yeah. hollywood history that is that's is special so yeah that's amazing yeah. that's, that's about, the that's reward
0: <laughs> yeah all right thank you very much um uh, i'm gonna uh, I, i'm gonna put links in the description of this episode where people can find your books and they can find i'll put your website youtube you're on youtube you have your own youtube channel um a little bit yeah yeah it's there it's there, it's there. uh and anything else that you want me to put there but this was a blast thank you so much go cool. thank you I hope you guys had as much fun with this conversation as I did. It really, it's the longest episode, as I said, because the time just flew by. I mean, I, I don't even know I, like how long we talked. I usually try to keep people for about an hour because I want to be respectful of their time. And I also know, uh, I mean, you know, I don't know what the audience attention span is, you know, coming from YouTube and these analytics that I get, it seems like it's short, but I know that a lot of people love these in-depth conversations. So what do you think about the longer length of this conversation? Do you want to see more stuff like that? Furthermore, let me ask you guys another question. So in a previous podcast, I kind of uh, sailed the idea out there by you guys of um, some episodes that aren't necessarily interviews that are just me talking about you know s- s- shorter subjects or topics or like a comic I'm reading or something like that. I did not get a lot of feedback on that idea, one way or the other. Um, What I what I did get is someone was like, "Why have you not done like an Ask Me Anything for your podcast?" Now I've done them for YouTube, but they were like, "Why don't you do an Ask Me Anything for your podcast, and people can send in their questions?" So let's do that. I'm going to ask you guys for questions. We'll we'll plan on at some point when I've got enough to do an episode, uh, I'll do like an AMA for the podcast. Just whatever you're curious doesn't have to be just collecting talk. It can be. Uh, you know, something about me that you're curious about, you know, like, um, your personal preferences or life experiences or anything like that. And, uh, yeah, just send them to serial midnight at gmail.com. Or if you're watching this in video form on YouTube, uh, you could, you could comment with your question there too. You contact me on social media. The links to uh, always links are always in the description of the episode. So uh, let's, if you want to do it, let's do it. I'm game. I'm your Huckleberry guys. Thanks so much. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Uh, subscribe to the Serial at Midnight YouTube channel so you never miss a review going up this week. As I'm recording this, there's a, uh, uh, a review for the Maltese Falcon on 4K. Um, I've got in the pipeline, I've got a review for the uh, uh, Rubble Without a Cause on 4K. And something that's really near and dear to my heart is this, this serial of the Green Hornet. The first serial, 1940, for the Green Hornet. I'm going to do a full serials at midnight treatment. I only do this, very. it's very sporadic. I think I've done three to date. I did one for King of the Rocket Men, which was a major inspiration for the Rocketeer. I did one for superman the, the first superman serial well before there was even a superman tv show uh, and i did one for the first flash gordon buster crab uh, that the, the very first Flash Gordon serial. So I think it's time with the Blu-ray release of the Green Hornet from VCI. I think it's time that we do one for that serial as well. So stay tuned for those things. But you're only going to get them if you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. So uh, again, links in the description. Guys, I appreciate you so very much. Uh, stay tuned. There's a lot of exciting things coming. We've got a, uh, an in-depth conversation coming soon about The Fun House that will be hitting the podcast feed soon. So guys, thanks so much. Take care. Until next time, I will catch you later.